We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Say with me, Christ became everything I was. So that I can become everything he is. Say it again. Christ became everything I was. So that I can become everything he is. You see, it's important to understand as believers that the work that God did is a legal work. Is a judicial work. God didn't just forgive you and say, nah, nah, nah. everything is nice and cool now, just go away. No, 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 no. There was a legal process involved. Because God is just. Are you following me? Especially if you're here, if you're here, joined us for the next, for the past two years. Pay, open your eyes, the eyes of your understanding. Listen to this. Because this is the 101 of the salvation work. 101 of finished work. So open your eyes, open your ears, follow this carefully. This is how you explain. We have just talked about eternal life and how you have the assurance of that, the guarantee of that assurance. This is how you explain the cross and what the cross did for you. Do you understand? Do you understand? Uh So strap up and let's get into this. At the heart of everything God did in Christ for man is a word called atonement. At the heart of everything God did for man in Christ is a word called atonement. And atonement is the, is the, he becomes from the Hebrew word keeper, which means to pay, to appease something or someone for an offense. So the fact that salvation is free does not mean it is free. And a lot of times we, we tend to devalue something we got for free because you don't understand that the fact that you didn't pay for it doesn't mean it was not paid for. Somebody paid for what you ate today. Or maybe not you. Somebody paid for the diesel. Maybe not you. If you got a free ride to this place, how many of you got a free ride here? Somebody drove you. One, two, not taxi. Somebody drove you, got a free ride. Yeah? Yeah? You? All the children are looking. What did you get? You, you, you got an entitled ride. It's part of your sonship package. I see. I see. You got a free ride, but guess what? It wasn't a free ride. It cost somebody something. But most times we don't value it because we're not the ones that paid the price. We criticize stuff, we devalue stuff, we downplay stuff because we don't understand how much went into acquiring it. So you go to someone's house and you're playing with their stuff and you're messing around with stuff and the person tells you, oh please, put that down. Like, what is it? It's not just radio. You're not the one that bought it. Who knows what I'm talking about? You're driving somebody's car, you're screeching. Calm down. Because when somebody shocks gold, do you know how much shocks observers cost? But we just drive wherever you have somebody's phone. You're pressing, pressing, pressing. You're playing game. They tell you they don't want you to play the game. And you're like, no, now it's not just game. 
But if you live in Victoria Friday's house where there's no there's been no light for six years. I said it so that if the Lord is leading you to give her a house <laughs> or to give her a transformer. <laughs> Even faith now, faith, there's a light in your house. There's no light in faith's house. You're in the same house with who? In the same area. Alright, I see. There's no light. So when someone like faith or, or, or if faith comes here and tells you, Please, can I charge for five minutes? That's a welfare case. Allow her to charge her four. Allow Victoria use C sockets in this place. Charge her phone. Charge her fridge. Charge her radio. Charge, <laughs> charge her touch. Charge her iron. <laughs> charge everything. Because once they leave this place. That's why Victoria is always waiting for James so they can go because you want to use the light until the last light before you off it. I'm joking, it's not that bad, but it's bad. But <laughs> so you don't value something because you don't know how much goes into acquiring it. You don't. The taxi that you are insulting, the guy has not finished paying on higher purchase. Every day he's trying to make his daily quota. So the fact that something is free doesn't mean it's free. So your salvation was free. You had no part to play in it. But boy, a price was paid. And if you don't understand the price, you will not appreciate and appropriate the value. One, of what was done for you. Two, you will not understand that that price paid was an exchange. So when he paid for something, I came into something. So life keeps tormenting you and you keep dealing with stuff that the cross paid for. Not that the cross is paying for, but that the cross paid for. That's the concept of atonement. So if something was unclean, an offering would have to be provided to make that thing clean. Make sense? If something was, 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 someone was unclean, an offering would have to be presented to make that person clean. It's not just a pronouncement. It was that a price was paid. That's where the concept of redemption comes into play. Do we understand? So at the heart of the redemption story, at the heart of, um, I said redemption story and I remembered somebody. At the heart of the redemption story is Atonement. Atonement, of course, is used in relation to offense, right? In, in relation to sin. And I, I've said over times, I said, I said it said in, this, in this series, that the, the problem, the issue of man, uh, Ugo mentioned that this morning when he heard from Isaiah 40, the problem of man is singular, sin. There's no other problem man has. The problem man has is sin. The one problem God has with man is sin. So when God solved the sin problem, God ceased having problem with man. You see, this is the gospel. The moment God sorted out the sin problem, God ceased having 
problem with man. Because God's problem with man was sin. God's problem with man is still sin if he could see it. If he, God, could see it. And something, someone, ensures he can't see it. Because that someone took it away. So God's problem is sin. Death came into the world through sin. Sickness came into the world through sin. Demonic oppression came into the world through sin. Everything that man became vulnerable to, he became vulnerable to on account of sin. So the hedge, as it were, that man enjoyed from God was punctured by sin. Everything else, therefore, is a derivative of sin. Every vice, every, every wrong, every ill, every misfortune, every evil, every bad thing is a consequence of sin. Are you with me so far? So if God deals with sin, God deals with everything sin came with. Then we went on to define what sin was. And I said to you very simply that sin is the human condition of simply failing to give God first place in your life. Anything that drags the object of your focus with God is sin. Anything that robs God of his rightful place, his first place in your life is sin. Look at Isaiah 43 verse 7. Isaiah 43 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. And today you heard an interesting twist to glory being salvation. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. He created us for what? His glory. So anything that robs God of glory is sin. Do we understand? And if you begin to trace your, 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 the whole Adam and Eve story, God said, there's all of this you can eat. There's this one, don't eat. In the day you eat this, you shall die. And then serpent tells Adam and Eve, come on, man, you won't die. If you eat this, you become like God. And all of a sudden, an enemy got God to believe that they could be like God. Because they were already like God. They were in his image. How can you get God to become like God when they already were like God? So sin is anything that robs God of the glory. Every thought and act that is independent of God is sin. Every thought 
and every act that is independent of God is sin. That's a very strong statement. Every thought, every act that is independent of God is sin. So even what you know how to do and you are trained to do and you do it outside of God, you just sinned. So you see the problem, sin is not as it were fornication and adultery. Class number one. It even comes before murder. Honestly. First category. Sexual adultery. Sexual immorality. Then the baby baby sins, malice, you know, strife, stealing, you know, baby baby sins. Those ones, we can have those sins and still be in choir. It's okay. Nothing, nothing spoiled. Who knows what I'm talking about? We can still be in Ushra with malice. No, we're not talking. Nothing, nothing, it doesn't, it doesn't stop anything. They don't need to suspend you for that one. But sexual, ah! So sin is not necessarily wrongdoing. Sin is any doing independent of God. Sin is what? Any doing. In the, as long as it is done apart from God, it is sin. Sin is anything you do, think that is outside of God. Romans 14, 23. The backdrop of this is food given to idols. Yeah? Romans 14. Go back. Just Let's, let's find, find context. I need 23, but my will find context for me. Go back to about 19 or so. Try 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Okay, keep going. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Ay, ay, ay. Please, can we all say that together? <laughs> That's a very instructive text right there. Do not destroy the work of God. <laughs> All things are indeed pure. Listen. But it is evil. The things that are pure are evil for the man who eats with offense. You can eat whatever you like. But if you eat it, give us NLT. Same verse. Remember, all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. I know that they are looking at me entering this shrine to eat this food. I know that if they eat it now, they will see me eating this and will prepare them. At that point, you just sinned. It's, it's not like the food you should have eaten. It's the food you ate is the food you should not have eaten. Because there's nothing wrong with the food. Do you understand? You wore your skirt. It's a nice little Sylvia skirt. And you love it. And it's okay. You have fine legs. Praise God for your life. Your legs are beautiful. I love them. 
But if you get up in the morning and wear this kit and say, today, ah, as I wear this kit. You see, the moment you said, as I wear this kit, as I wear this dress, the way that it will pepper them. When you were saying that, guess what? The skirt did not shrink. It just injected sin into you. Same skirt. Same skirt you would have worn giving glory to God. Same skirt can tomorrow be seen. It's not in the length of the skirt. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything is acceptable, but when you do something to make another person stumble, I've sinned. Let the people come and see me eating this food. Let them see that Jesus is Lord. In that, your religious pride, you just sinned. So you see that sin is not necessarily doing what is wrong. Are you following me here? But it's doing anything at all outside or independent of God. Keep going, 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or wear some clothes or not wear some clothes if it might cause another believer to stumble. Keep going. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Tell your neighbor, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. And the church say, Amen. New King James. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. This same Romans 14 earlier on talks about the days of the week that people go to church to worship. Same Romans 14. So people will check me out on Sunday. They'll say, ah, but we didn't disturb you on Sunday morning because you, we know you'll be in church. I said, no, my darling. I'm at home. Pastor, are you on retreat? No, I'm watching film. Because you think that if I'm at home on a Sunday morning, there has to be a spiritual reason to it. I stayed back to refresh. To hear the mind of God. No, I stayed back home to watch Quantico or Empire from season one to season five. That's, that's my point. It's not that deep. It's not, it's not that deep. Sit down, watch Avengers, Infinity Wars, watch Black Panther, you know, just knock myself out, have a glass of juice, Zobo, just chill, see what's happening in the world, play some snooker on my iPad, and just love on Jesus. I didn't even play one worship song. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So you're going to church on Sunday morning, please, go safely. Go safely. May the Lord be with you. This with you, but the day I wake up on a Sunday morning, those of you who walk with me, especially when I, I was still driving, you know, I just wake up and I know the Lord will have me be in a place. Yes. I say, oh, Guys, let's go. That day, if I stayed at home, I sinned. Yeah. 
Because that day the Lord would have me be somewhere. And my insistence that no Lord, but you know I'm not a Sunday morning person. You know, I don't do religion. That insistence can become stupidity to the point of offense. And you, if every Sunday morning you are caught at home and you are feeling bad, Charlie, go to church. Please, go to church. Don't sit at home, you know, and be saying, Pav is at home. Because Pav is not living in offense. Pav is not living in guilt or condemnation. But you are in condemnation because you feel like on a Sunday morning day of the Lord like this, you should be in the house of the, get dressed and go to that house of that Lord. <laughs> but blessed is he who is not condemned in what he approves. Verse 23 and the last verse in that text. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Look at this last statement. For whatever is not from faith is sin. NLT. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Mercy will wear her nice short skirt and she gives God praise. You, you wear it and be like, ah, this skirt, oh, I did I even wear? Who sent me? Same skirt. If I yours is longer, you just sinned. A pastor will go, why? I don't feel like I should wear casual and go and preach. He wears suit and then he now sees path in jeans, sneakers, pumps and boots and goes, no, me too now. I think. Whatever is not from faith or of faith is sin. So again, I repeat, wrong, sin is not just wrongdoing. Hebrews 11.6. Let's see how that makes sense. But without what? Faith it is to please him. For he that must come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The important thing there is without faith it's impossible to please God. So sin, if sin is anything not done from faith, then essentially sin is the absence of faith. Come on, guys. If, if whatever is not done from faith is sin, it means sin is the absence of faith. Anything you think or do outside faith is sin. Make sense? Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, the truth is established. James chapter 4 and verse 17. You see the same statement repeated there by James. Paul writes in Hebrews, which we read, the writer of Hebrews writes that which we read, and now we see James saying, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to that person, it is sin. What was sin? The good you did not do. Not the bad, though. To him that knows to do good and does not do it to him. It is sin. So sin is the absence of the engagement of God in the life of a believer. I'm sure you know that if you have followed me, 
I don't teach about sin. Because you don't need it. Yeah? You don't need it. 17 ways to identify a sinful lifestyle. How to overcome sin. To live a life above sin. I don't have time for that. However, like I said when I taught this series or something similar a while ago, you cannot appreciate atonement if you don't understand the concept of sin. When he says Jesus became sin, you think Jesus came and was just doing wrong everywhere. If you understand sin as everything that is independent of God, and then you see that Christ became sin, so why did Christ become? Christ became the epitomization, the personification of everything that is displeasing to God from man. Everything man could ever think or do to offend God, Christ became. Holy Spirit, I'll wait for your people to catch up. I will not rush it. Are you with me so far? So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that Christ became adultery. Even though, of course, it's part of the package. It doesn't mean that Christ became murder. It doesn't mean that Christ became robbery. It means that anything that could possibly or potentially displease God Christ became it so that the entire displeasure of God against the world was meted out on Christ do you understand do you understand and then you can begin to appreciate how everything that could please God was handed over to you by Christ. So God looked at Christ and was terribly displeased with the whole world in Christ. God looks at you and is incurably pleased with you because of Christ. Do you understand what I just said? God looks at Jesus and he sees the entire everything God dislikes in mankind was in Jesus. He turned his face away from him. I'm of fairer eyes than to behold this. Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabathani, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because at that point, the Jesus that always boasted, Father, I thank you that you hear me always. The same Jesus looked for his father. And his father had turned his eyes on him. The father did not turn his eyes on the son. He cannot do that. The father turned his eyes on the displeasure of the world. Personified in a man on the cross. Do you understand what I just said? The guy on the cross was not the fullness of the Godhead bodily. As it were. He was the encapsulation of everything God hates. I said the encapsulation of everything God hates. So when God saw, can you imagine? You know, it's 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 how Holy Spirit helped me drive this home. There's a few white colors in the room. 
Fred is wearing one, Michael and Eva are wearing different shades of white, Alfred is wearing white, uh, 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 Caleb is wearing white, Blessing is wearing white, uh, there's a touch of white on, on, on Sean's shirt, there's a little dab of white on Precious's, um, but there's, there's splatters of white around, but they're not all in the same place. So I, 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 there's white in Daniel's Paul, um, crew neck t-shirt that I'm seeing, at the time I'm seeing the white in Daniel's crew neck t-shirt, I'm not necessarily seeing the white on Precious's chest. Does that make sense? I'm not seeing the white on Caleb's polo. It's a different ballgame when you gather all of that white and put in a room. Imagine a room, this room painted white, white stage. Everybody has white powder on their face, white hair, and everybody's wearing white attire. Sat on white chairs, white floor, white wristwatch, white hair, you know. That will be a lot of white. Are you, are you getting me? Now imagine that there's splatters of sin here and there. Splatters of disobedience here and there. And at one point in history, God gathers all of it. From past, present, and future. Gathers all the things that could that have displeased him, that are displeasing him, and that will potentially displease him. Gathers all that displeasure of all of time, and in one instant sees all of it on the cross. You don't go and hug that kind of displeasure. You kill it. Are you following me? Now, because all of that was meted on him, the flip side is that everything that he deserved as the obeying, obedient son of God was passed on to me. That's atonement. So the sin problem is taken care of. Are we together? Romans 6.23. Scripture we know very, very well. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in who? What is that gift? Eternal life. Ezekiel 18. 20, I believe it is. It's in Exodus, but I can't find exactly where. But it's in Ezekiel 18.20. Yes, the soul. Give us King James. <laughs> you have King James? The soul that sinneth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of of the son, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Huh. My, 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 my. So when sin was found on Jesus, what needed to happen to Jesus? Death. Because death 
is the her man. Death is the consequence of sin. But death is also the result of sin. The soul that sins, it shall die. Death itself comes from sin. The reward for sin is death. The wages, the payment for sin is death. But that death itself came because of sin. Sin came into the world by one man and death through sin. Does that make sense? So when Jesus was on the cross and he took the sins of the world, guess who died? The world. Those that believe and those that don't. (laughs) Because you cannot separate the world. The world is the world. The difference now, and I said this once in 2017, I believe at the most sessions, and it caused such an outrage. So the difference between you and an unbeliever is in what we have just said. You, you believe, the other person unbelieves. The difference is not in quality. The difference is in knowledge. You believe your sins are forgiven. The unbeliever doesn't believe his sins are forgiven. It's not you're a believer so your sins are forgiven. The unbeliever is an unbeliever because his sins are not forgiven. The believer's sins are forgiven. The unbeliever's sins are forgiven. Christians don't like it. He's doing you something. Really. But the unbeliever's sin is forgiven. God, these are things I say, they will say this power has come. God is no longer in the business of forgiving sin. Come to God right now. Come to him now. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. Stop insulting God. He walked once. He rested from his walk. Hebrews makes it very clear. He finished the job. He rested. He sat now waiting till his enemy made his footstool. So God, can you imagine what kind of busybody God is that? Every second. Okay, yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You too, I forgive you. Yeah, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. What I call in Australia, I forgive you. Different time zone in Japan, I forgive you. In Nigeria, different time zone, I forgive you. No, 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 no. no. It's not in the multitasking business of forgiving sins across different time zones. You alone, between you and your family, you and your family, you have done 2,000 altar calls asking God to forgive you. You you hear the word, you don't come out, your mom will give you one eye. Can you not hear the altar call? My friend, go out and re-give your life to Christ. Not re-dedicate, re-give. There's a difference. It's not what you first gave. 
and give and give and give and give and give before you now start to rededicate. Because for you to rededicate, you must first believe that he collected it in the first place. So you give and give and give and give and give and give and give. Oh, Father, forgive me. Take away my sins. Blot my name from the book of death. And write it in the book of life. And when you offend him, you go, Father, please, that book of death, my name has entered. Please delete it. And Lord, please rewrite it. Can you see how mentally disturbed your God is? So every day as you're going with God, God is writing name here, deleting it here, then writing it here, deleting it here, then right here, delete. He might as well just stay there like this with two pens. Like Dexter. Hmm. Because men, your own name, they have not finished writing it here. It's beginning to appear here. Few, 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 few. You can't finish writing. After a while, we don't even know your name again. Toyebat. Toyebat Mekat. So, 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 so you are laughing now because you see how stupid it sounds. See, God is merciful. Because if he were to go, if he were to deal with us the way we saw him, we are hopeless. If God would deal with man the way man sees him, we are hopeless. We are beyond redemption. So all God is doing is either forgive your sins, writing and your name, writing and your name, writing your name. When, when, when heaven is a place of rest, he rested from his works. He dealt with sin once. And for believer and unbeliever alike. An unbeliever is one who has not come into the knowledge of and therefore has not appropriated the finished work of Christ. That's why they are called unbelievers. So technically speaking, and this might be above some of your, your class right you're in right now, but technically speaking, which is actually to say realistically speaking, there's no such thing as the term unsaved. There's no term. There's no such thing. But there is the, there's the ignorant of their salvation because that salvation appeared to all men. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. All men. There's people who are, who are painfully ignorant of the salvation they have. Painfully. So the soul that sins... It shall die. Atonement, therefore, is the only remedy for sin. If punishment is the only reward for sin. 
Are you, I'm going step by step. Yeah, we have understood that the soul that sins, it shall die. So death is the consequence or reward for sin. For the wages of sin is death, right? So sin it results in death, and death itself resulted from sin. Yeah? If death is the punishment or the reward for sin, then if there's going to be a remedy, that remedy is called atonement. And atonement means that somebody must take your place. It means that for you to leave, somebody else must die. So you see why it's a legal transaction. So, ah, man, Holy Spirit, help me that these people understand what I'm trying to say. And this is still very basic. Ah, man. God did not cancel your debt ever. You know, we think of salvation, we think of it as debt cancellation. How much, how much, how much, how much I owe me ransom? Five million. You know what? I'm in a good mood today. I'm just going to wave it off. That is not what God did. The day God does that, it will actually devalue his worth as God because it will make him complacent of sin. I know it's the day is a little spent, but we are well within time, and I'm hoping you can stay with me a few more minutes. We're, we have not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not running late yet. And I'm hoping you can, don't be distracted. To cancel a debt means, you know what, you know, uh, you know I just, I'm just in a great mood. Just, how much are you owe me? Five million. Phew. That's it. Let's go. Mm-mm. Because to do that would be, would be to say that I can tolerate what you did. Uh, no, that's not what happened. So you are walking free because somebody else paid for your mess. Do you understand? Because in the justice of God, the soul that sinneth must die. Somebody say must. For a sin committed, a death is required. So the only way you are walking free from offending God is for somebody else to die in your place. Kippur in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, simply meant to cover sin. So every time a man offended God, he will bring a goat or a lamb or two doves because something must die. It's either you or something in place of you. Now, because the blood of goats and calves and rams cannot take away sin, it only covered sin momentarily. One year. It will just cover the sin. Go and sin some more. Come, are you ready to die now? Ready to die? No, here's the goat. Kill another goat. The old covenant was a wrong time to be a goat or a lamb. <laughs> I'm very sure in that era, chicken would have been very cheap. Because they were not requiring chickens for sacrifice. Talk to me. They were requiring chicken for sacrifice. If you are a lamb, you are an endangered species. If you are spotless, you will not last two days. 
You just you're covering. Something had to die. Something had to die. Exodus chapter 30. And verse 10. Exodus 30, I believe. Yes. And Aaron shall make what? Atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Let's pick a few verses from Leviticus 16. From verse 1. I don't think there's any chapter in the old covenant that deals with atonement in as much detail as Leviticus 16. So we'll just read. It might be a long read as Daniel always says. Let's go from verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord, Hophini and Phinehas, right? And died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, but before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place. Switch to NLT, stay here. Because I'm sure NLT will not say thus, he will say this is how or something like that. NLT, it's three. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull, that's a cow, for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Keep going. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Six. I think we're at seven now. Okay, let's stay here. Stay in six. Okay, let's stay here. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. A bull for himself for his own sin. A ram for his own burnt offering. Two male goats for Israel and a ram for burnt offering. Aaron represents his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right to the Lord. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goats will be preserved. You will be preserved. Okay, but when he's doing it, he's maybe praying in tongues. He's to cast sacred lots. Or maybe they had cowries, you know, holy tabernacle cowries, you know. Red cowrie. Goat to die. You know, brown cowrie. Goat to go into the wilderness. He's to cast sacred lots. To determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord. And which one will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, that's where the word, the scapegoat comes from. Chosen by Lot to be sent away. Oh, this goat, you will feel sorry for this goat. Will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. 11. 
Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right to the Lord. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an intense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will take two handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and will carry the burner and the incense behind the inner curtain. There in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals so that a cloud of incense will rise over the ark's cover, the place of atonement that rests on the ark of the covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. If he doesn't follow these instructions, he will die. Then he must take some of the blood of the bull. Can you see walks? Dip his finger in it. Sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people. Now, before we continue reading, can you picture that all of these instructions had to be memorized off heart? Because they didn't have it written at that time. And if you don't follow these instructions in the letter, you will die. So, so if, if you don't understand this backdrop, you will never appreciate what the cross did. Aaron must slaughter the goat, first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. Then there he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. Then Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He will do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat and putting it on each of the horns of the altar. Then he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. Okay. When, Abraham, when Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present that scapegoat. Right? He will lay both of his hands on the innocent goat's head and confess over the goat all the wickedness, all the rebellion, and all the sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself to a desolate land. When Aaron goes back to the tabernacle, he must take off the linen garments he was wearing when he entered the most holy place and he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Somebody said, uh-uh. I heard you. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. He must then burn all the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man chosen to drive the scapegoat into the wilderness of Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Then he may return to the camp. The bull and the goat presented as sin offerings, whose blood Aaron takes into the most holy place for the purification ceremony, will be carried outside 
the camp. The animals' hides, internal organs, and dung are all to be burned. And it goes on and on and on. And I've always made a joke out of this, that imagine that goat that's carrying the sin of all Israel into the, into the wilderness. You're now there praying for God to send you meat. You now catch this goat, this sinful goat, and eat it. Your tummy's running for one year. <laughs> because you just ate this sin. <laughs> The wickedness and rebellion of all Israel. <laughs> Eat wickedness pepper soup. <laughs> Hebrews 10, one, verse 1. Man, you see when we say thank God for Jesus, it's not a joke. Oh. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So anybody about to assignmentize you in the new covenant is living in a shadow. Assignment. These things were not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Keep going. We're going to verse 4. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifice would have stopped. Amen to that. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year. Verse 4, for it is not possible. It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So all along, why is somebody giving you assignment when God had already given them the assignment? He gave them the assignment knowing it could not produce the results they sought. But if they didn't appreciate the concept of blood for sin, they would never appreciate the concept of God in Christ for man. If they didn't understand the concept of blood for sin, Jesus would have come and died and would have still been looking at him like some regular guy that just fell out of favor with the Roman soldiers. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me to make this clear. It's one thing to believe that Jesus died. It's another thing to see what his dying did. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, if he had not set this emotion to let you understand how much goes into covering sin, when John screamed, behold the Lamb of God that takes away, the Jews understood exactly what that statement meant. Because year after year, they paid for sin and it never went away. It was just covered. Those of you that say the Shekinah glory between the Ark of Covenant is, is one of the smelliest places. That's why incense had to burn there 24-7. Or else there would have been flies. You don't see any record of a priest going into the holy, most holy place to remove last year's blood. 
Because if you went to wash out last year's blood, you are exposing last year's sin. Because what the blood did was to cover. If you remove the blood from the mercy seat, we get to see all your sins from last year. Because they were not forgiven. They were only covered. So washing away last year's sacrifice exposes last year's sin. Which makes you susceptible to last year's death. You will die for last year. So can you imagine how revolutionary John's proclamation was? Are you understanding it now? That all you know as a Jew is every year you are covering my sin. Every year, if you don't cover the sin, I will die. If you wash it, I will die. And then somebody comes and brings a completely different concept. Says, behold, the Lamb of God that, what? Takes away. It's not a goat or ram. It's a lamb. That's why when Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac, Genesis 22, God stopped him and gave me ram. Because only one lamb could be sacrificed. He's a lamb of God. And he's taking away sin. Hey, Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews 9. Verse 7. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sin. You saw that in Leviticus 16, right? And for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. Keep going. But these, by these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system in it represented were still in use. Nine. This is what? An illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. The priests themselves cannot be cleansed by their sacrifice. How much more the people who bring the sacrifices to be offered? Keep going. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So Christ has now become... The high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. So there's no earthly place called tabernacle anymore. Beauty tabernacle, revelation tabernacle, Jesus tabernacle. There's no place, no physical location is a tabernacle anymore. He entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Keep going. With his own blood. Not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time. Secured our redemption forever. (laughs) He secured our redemption. 
forever. So while in the old covenant, atonement had to do with covering sin, in the New Testament, atonement has to do with taking away sin. The word for atonement in the, in the Hebrew is, is kippur, which means to cover, hence Yom Kippur, in the, the festival of the Hebrew festival. And, and in the New Testament, the Hebrew word for atonement is the word katalage, which means to remove. English atonement, atonement, but it here to cover, here to and you saw all the remove scriptures this morning yes. when Ugo was teaching, yeah. preaching, <laughs> something. <laughs> Hebrews 9.26. I'll just add one. If that had been necessary, go back to 25 or just for context. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again. Oh my, this is so sweet. It's so sweet. He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again. Like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. 27. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Mm. Mm -hmm. To remove sin. Katalage, not cover. Not many times, one time for all. He removed sin. Therefore, for us who are born again, who believe there is no more sacrifice required for sin. No more. Hebrews 10, 18. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. When sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Because it's done. Somebody say it's done. So, I wrote here, atonement is the sum total of the work of Christ. It is everything Christ did to earn our salvation and its benefits. Atonement is the sum total of the work of Christ. It is everything Christ did to attain our salvation and its benefits. Everything. Justification is a product of atonement. I remember saying that time that atonement can be broken up into at one meant. I am at one with God. I am reconciled to God. Our peace with God is restored. Romans 5, 6 to 11, as we begin to wind down. Victoria, what's happening? Who else can give me information? Romans 5, 6 to 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people will not be willing to die for an upright person though, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God, 
commanded his love, showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us. Certainly. 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 Save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. New King James, New King James, look at it how he puts it in the New King James. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have re- now received the don't be jumping words. The that means the reconciliations are not many. We didn't receive a reconciliation which needs topping up today and topping up tomorrow. We receive the reconciliation. One. That is enough. For eternity. We received the reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5 explains what that reconciliation is. Verse 18. Second Corinthians 5.18. I'll end here for today. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ. That's the ministry that's describing. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses of the world to the world. But has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God is not counting the sins of the world against them. It's not only the church who is enjoying forgiveness. Ouch. See, this is where it gets difficult. You are not the only one who is enjoying forgiveness, sir. Holiness and righteousness preachers don't like this. Because I don't understand how you can preach righteousness and not preach Christ. How you can preach holiness and not preach Christ. What are you preaching? Who is righteousness? Do we work for it? Or Christ became it for us? When we were saved, the Bible says that you, you were saved in true righteousness and holiness. You are not saved to become holy. You were saved in holiness and therefore saved into holiness. Not put it back, Second Corinthians 5 18. Not imputing. So when God came and in Christ and was doing stuff, who was he sorting out? The world. Somebody say the world. Not imputing the world's. Let's see how NLT puts this. It doesn't say reconcile. It says something about friends of God or something. For God was in Christ, NLT. This is NLT. Oh, great. Are you sure this is NLT? Yeah. No longer counting people's sins against them. (laughs) 
where those sins exist, Becky, God is not counting it. Why? Christ. I enjoy the benefits because I believe. So I can maximize it. So an unbeliever can feel like it's okay to be sick and he'll be sick. Me, because I believe I cannot be sick. Do you understand? I can't be sick. Keep going. We're going to verse 21. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Be reconciled to God. 21. Now then. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the moment Christ became my sin, I became his righteousness. Tell anybody he swapped it. So that's what the cross did. The cross is the eternal remedy for the sin problem. Can we see that? The cross. I'll stop here. This is still my introduction. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.